check there, Andy, a little more. Check. One, two. Check. Right. Check. There you go. One, two. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Andy Staples, our guest today. I'm excited to talk to you, Andy. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Well, let's let's hit it. I feel like, uh, like I said, I think you're, it feels like a rocket ship. I, I, I'm happy to be on it for a ride. You just, you just asked me before I press record, you said, what do you want to, what did you say? What do you want to, it wasn't what do you want to talk about? What do you want to get out of this? What do I want to get out of this? <laughs> what a question. Um, I mean, why do we tell stories? Uh, I, the way I tell stories, I guess they're passionate and they, they mean something to me, I, I guess. That and for entertainment. Right. I'm going to move my mic so I can see you better. Um, All right. So uh, you're in an elevator? How do you introduce yourself to the person who says, what do you do? What do you do, Andy? Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, I'd say I'm a golf architect. It's, I always have a, a, a funny uh, ending to that. I said, whenever there's golf architecting to do. So, what, as opposed to? It's, it's a tough business these days. <laughs> right, right. There are how but many? I'm a golf architect. That's what I tell them. How, why aren't there a lot of projects? Well, I think one of the things you could say is there's a lot of us out there chasing work. And one of the things that always happened in my business, I can recall when I first got on, on board with my first job, is that a lot of the jobs go to the same few people. So if you have 100 jobs, you might have 50 to 60 of them go to like four or five guys. And you, you see a lot of that already. That, that's continued. It's just competitive. So um, we, I think we seem to, uh, to try to look for jobs everywhere we can. And it's just, it's, it's a tough business. It's an economy. Uh, the golf industry, everyone talks about the struggles we've gone through. And so a lot of golf courses aren't making a lot of investments or haven't in the last 10 years. Now it's starting to turn a little bit. Right. But it's, uh, I would say, I would say there's probably more of us out there than there needs to be, but there's just not enough projects. How, what's the business plan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get wild and famous, right? Um, <laughs> is that, that is kind of it, yeah. right? Well, as soon as you get to that point, it feels like the, 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 the phone starts ringing a little bit more. Um, I'm still waiting the phone for the phone to start ringing. It started to ring a little bit more than it did in years past. But now the business plan, I think, for me was always to leave the golf industry in a better place. And I, always, uh, I was always told that, that the industry always has room for people who are good at what they do. And so I, I set out to find golf courses that are struggling and are looking for improvements. And typically that has something to do with maintenance costs and water costs and electrical costs and things like that. It's where I've, where I've been able to, to stay in business. I joke, uh, I'm not a, I don't have a famous father and I didn't win a U.S. Open. Uh, so how in the heck did you get in the golf business? <laughs> so uh, I, I, I do sustainability. So I, I try to get, uh, make golf more sustainable for the future. Um, is sustainability enough? I mean, I mean, um, and that's not that's an that's a that's not the question I wanted to ask. What I meant to say is, um, are people how much does the word sustainability uh, help? How much does it sell people? How, how much is that is the how much does that replace the uh, the prior accolades of father slash trophy? You know <laughs> what does it do? Do people care as you much know, as they should? I think the easiest way to answer that is no, they don't. But I I'll say that. The ones that were in the most trouble cared about it, uh, but I've always said, you know, you've, you're hiring me to create a great golf course, and the sustainability is in the background. So you need to know it's a core value of my company. So you're going to get that, and so I'd like to believe that 
when it comes down to a choice between guys that you're going to choose me because I understand that side of the business better than my competitors. So, no, they want a great golf course. They want something that's fun and people want to play. And, yes, the, the rankings and all those things are still real, and that's seemingly still what gets jobs. But sustainability has a real, uh, you know, uh, benefit in cost-effectiveness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my, one of my first big contracts on my own was going around to about 100 golf courses in Southern California, telling them how to be more water efficient and save on a power bill. So they watered less, they, they, they pumped less. And I got the utility company to help pay for this and gave them an incentive to do that. Which courses? Oh, to, I, name, to name a few out of 100. Yeah, yes. I mean, Wilshire? To Her- uh, I, I did not get to Wilshire. Uh, they were working on it with another. They had uh, already gotten to it. Yeah. Was that, was that with Kyle or was that so, something else? That was something else. That, yeah. was, like, that was after well, no, Kyle. That, that, no, that, that was the one I'm referring to. It was with Kyle. Um, but uh, Tierra's Creek, uh, a bunch in the desert. There's 23 golf courses in Palm Desert. So all of them down there, Vintage Club, uh, Desert uh, uh Desert Horizons was another big one. Uh, I went all the way up to Santa Barbara. So uh, Valley Club of Montecito, I know that we had a guy over there doing some uh, kind of auditing work. But that work was more or less, we weren't going to change your golf course. We were going to look at how you irrigate your course. Do you need a new irrigation system? What's the turf? What varieties of turf are you using? How much turf do you have? And then, oh, by the way, if you did these changes, the utility company would help you pay for them. Uh, so we, uh, taking so advantage of incentives. Incentives, right. Rebate program. Wow. And, but that's not, is that, is that what you love to do or not really? That's I, the job. I, I said that was the recession. So the, the recession hit in 2008 and nine for me. And I went from having probably four or five jobs and I was looking at going, moving up to Oregon. I had an opportunity in Oregon and it just went to zero. And so the only thing that people were talking about in 2009, 10, 11 were how to, reduce costs. Mm. And so that was one of the arms of my business. So one thing about my company, I actually started with two two partners, a golf course superintendent and a clubhouse manager. And so our first contract was a maintenance contract. So I was actually on the mower mowing uh, Thanksgiving Point Golf Course up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I like that name. Yeah. Thanksgiving Point. Yeah. yeah TP a, for short? <laughs> TP is it? Designed by Johnny Miller. Really? Uh, yeah, the WordPerfect uh, software decided to uh, provide uh, his own Thanksgiving for how well his business has done. And uh, the joke up there, and you've heard this a few times, is they had an unlimited budget and somehow exceeded it. Uh, <laughs> it's an okay golf course, but we were hired to maintain it and reduce costs. And so that's that's how my company kind of started. And I knew all along, as a golf architect, you know, it's an ebb and a flow. You're you're either as you know, busy that you can't see straight, or you're sitting around waiting for the phone to ring and wondering what's going on. Right. And so this sustainability effort for me was one that said, hey, I don't think this is going away. So at least it's something that can help me pay some bills when I can, when no one else was paying guys that didn't have a famous father or didn't win the U.S. <laughs> Open to design their golf course. Without kind of like, you know, talking specifically about Thanksgiving Point, you described it as an okay golf course. What to you... What's the difference between a, maybe an okay or a mediocre or a bad golf course and a great golf course, in your opinion? Well, I guess if I could describe Thanksgiving Point, they, it was not the most natural of golf sites, and so they moved a lot of dirt, and it just it just didn't feel natural. It doesn't feel natural. It's a lot of 
artificial lakes and mounding. But I would say a golf course to me is one that just feels like you're out in nature hiking, right? So when I'm looking at a new golf course site, I'm sure other guys do the same thing, but to me, when you walk around a golf course, it should be what you would naturally have walked around before there was a golf course. Right. So you're, you're drawn to the high points. You go down to the easy walking points. And so I think, to me, a good golf course stirs your soul to understand that this is where you're supposed to be. This is, this is a site that was meant to be a golf course. So when you're on a golf course that's not meant to be a golf course, that's when it gets, that, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I um I don't know if I've had that feeling in places as much as like Scotland. When you walk along the fairway and you're like, this was never not a golf course. This <laughs> we just called it something. We right. gave it a name. That's all we did. Right. They, it was here and um you almost feel silly as an American showing up there and being like with your uh you know golf branded hat and gloves and, and all like, your bag tags. Yeah, yeah, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> There was no logos like you've you've been doing this. How um, how did you get into golf? My dad brought me to golf. My I have a younger brother. I have two younger brothers, but my younger my middle. I'm the oldest of three boys, and so Tim and I were the same, about the same age. And so my dad brought home clubs for us. He had just started playing a lot of golf, and I think that was around seven or eight years old. And so uh, we. He got to be a member at a little uh, private club way outside. I grew up outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and this was West Bend Country Club, kind of a blue-collar, out-of-the-way club that was designed by Bill Langford. You know, there's a lot of, finally, some recognition to Langford Moreau courses, Lasonia, things like that. But this was West Bend Country Club, and I was... If if you're listening and you don't know Langford Moreau and Lasonia, check out the YouTube channel... Andy Johnson and I went there, and Andy really breaks it down in a great way. You're, I'm sure you're a fan of Andy's. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he does a great job. And I think that may be my only Langford Moreau. Yep. And Johnson, Andy Johnson just, like, freaks out for these guys. <laughs> I love it, it. It's incredible. So the, so the first three holes at West Bend uh, have their long par fours, and the third hole is actually a par five long. And Langford Moreau has these huge pits, right, these huge grass faces and as a seven eight year old you couldn't hit out of them you couldn't even get over them 60 feet um i'd say probably 25 or 30 feet okay yeah i'm exaggerating this yeah. is i'm a story 60 we'll go 60 you're go 60. you're an arch- you're a mathematician <laughs> <laughs> so so i have a very vivid memory of hitting into these features and trying to get my wedge over it hitting it and ricocheting and then hitting it and coming back at me and it was a big deal when i got good enough to actually hit over those and so my dad would Take us. We I played junior golf. We had to drive maybe thirty or forty minutes to get there, and that's how I started playing. I, and I did, people ask me, "Well, is that why you love golf architecture?" I don't know. I, I'm sure it didn't hurt, but that was that was my introduction to golf. I was I was interested to know that Andy basically traced Langford Moreau into Pete Dye's subconscious. Is that true? I mean, is that? I guess what I'm curious to hear you talk about now is that, but also. How did it get into your subconscious? Do you think you saw architecture from its first image in your world as like a creative enterprise, as, as like a as like a drawing? I, th- I think so. I I reached out to Ron Witten from Golf Digest. At least this is what I recall. And I asked him if he had any information on Langford Moreau. And he does. He did. He's got a lot of information. And one of the th- tidbits that I got from him in, that, in those conversations was because the dyes were from Indiana, 
Langford Moreau had done a number of courses throughout the greater upper Midwest. And Pete Dye thought they were all Seth Rayner golf courses. And they were actually Langford Moreau golf courses. So I think that's true. I think what Andy connected is, is, is true. And I think it has to because West Bend is an incredibly natural golf site. And it's one that you just want to walk around. It's, you know, ups and, you know, up and down. And, and Langford Moreau, you know, put their golf course on top of that land. And what makes them so good is they moved a lot of dirt to do their golf courses. But for some reason, they feel so, I don't know, maybe natural isn't the right word, but they, they feel like they make so much sense. And it's, I can't help but say that it was in my subconscious. Well, there is something to golf, and I know nothing about architecture. Well, I mean, I know a little bit, but I don't know anything in experience, really. I mean, I only listen to people. But I'm beginning to see something where you've got these kind of laws, right? Like, one law seems to be make it natural. But if it's not natural, at least just make it believable. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's right. So so the first, uh, I went back to West Bend and played in a golf tournament Years later, uh, when I was an adult, maybe this is maybe 10 or 12 years ago, with my brother, and the first green rises uphill up to this green that sits up in the air, and what you don't realize is it falls off probably 20 feet below on the backside of the green. And so I was putting for birdie, and I literally was walking it in. You know how you walk, you hit a putt and you walk away from it because it's going to go in? I walked off the back of the green. And slid all the way down the back of the green. So if you've ever gone, if you go to one of the courses, you could do that. I had grass stains all down the side no. of my shorts. So that's how steep it is, right? Did the putt go in? Yeah. No, it did not. Oh, no. It didn't even go in. <laughs> well, I was down the sl- slope. I couldn't actually see that. It, it, uh, it sounds like a TV show. So how that, you know, now you're getting into some nuances here. I don't know how far you want to deep it, dive deep into this, but... Moreau, uh, Langford Moreau had this ability to continue fairways out into their green pads, and he didn't really care what happened at the back side of it. He kind of just let the grading work. And I think that's one of the things that make his their courses so interesting is that the eye perceives them to, to fit seamlessly, but with a little bit of digger de- uh, deeper digging, it's maybe not so much. But uh, they're great, and I think you're going to keep hearing more and more about his courses because uh, they're definitely – completely underranked, underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, I found them very exciting. And I also found, uh, I was looking forward to playing Sleepy Hollow because there you've got another sort of unwritten rule, which seems to be, uh, don't make it really weird unless it's 100 years old. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, well, Sleepy Hollow's got a square green with that, a circle inside of it. That's awesome. That's exactly right. Those are two that perfect written rules because that's one of the things now we all say it's like oh we're going to make it look old because now if it looks old it must be good right <laughs> but you know you go to the old car- clubs you go to garden city golf club in new york or you go to, to the, some old heathland courses in london and you see stuff that's that's over 100 years old rock walls or burns or whatnot and there's certain that that feeling of age i think i think we as are as humans are, are attached to that kind of authenticity and there's only a few ways, I think, in a golf course to really create authenticity without it being old, and that is to make it look old. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying being lied to every day. Right. No, I just think, you know, I went to Lynch, and I remember being like, just, you've got, uh, I think it's four and five, or five and six, the yeah. the 
the uh, the par five with the completely blind approach, yeah. and then the par three with yep. the blind yeah. tee shot. Yeah, the Dell. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, like this is awesome because old Tom did it. <laughs> but if you put this in America, like people would light it on fire. That's right. And that's we've obviously said that. And anyone who's into you know, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you may not have heard us. We've talked about it with Andy and with other uh, you know Jim and other people in, involved in this, but. It is really strange that that is um, that that is just so continually true. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 there's a joke in our business that says, you know, you can't. You, there's things you just can't do over here because you know guys go over there and say, oh, Brown is great. It plays great, and oh yeah, the ball bounced 20 feet in the air, outstanding. And oh, I had a, you know, a shot. I hit 400 yard drive because it was all downwind, downhill. You come here and they turn into different golfers. You know, then it's green and perfect and lush and manicured. Right. That's that's been as, around as long as I can remember. So, uh, but I, I would say that is changing for the first time in my career in golf. There's more and more of an awareness that says, "All right, they don't all have to be that way." Right. And that's good, I think. If you're if you're listening to this podcast and you have, I mean, you're obviously listening. If you're hearing, if the tree falls in the woods. Now, if you're having sensitive ears and you're wondering what's going on with the propellers, it's because we're in a room near the airport. There's just, there's a plane continually flying for some reason. I don't know why. But, um, so let's get to, I mean, am I correct in calling, well, what is Community Links? It is an initiative, Community Links is an initiative simply to, to attempt to connect a community's golf course to their citizens, linking their community to their golf course. And it came, it came out of necessity. It was born out of necessity, a project I was working on in Los, Los Alamos, New Mexico. And uh, so it's now it's turned into an initiative to try to figure ways to harness all the great aspects of the game of golf. And when you actually see it work well in other communities, learn from them and bring them to places that it's currently not working. I feel like you undersold it a little bit. <laughs> I feel like it's more interesting than that. So I'll tell you the story with, with, with community links in, in Los, Los Alamos. So I was hired to do a master plan and this particular golf course was struggling, losing money, uh, lack of revenue, lack of play. Los Alamos is small, not a huge city. Small, it's less actually than a the county of Los Alamos. County. It's, the, it's the national laboratory. It's actually where they invented the atomic bomb. It's My father worked at Sandia across oh, the street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't yeah. tell me what he did. Right. Yeah, it's a trippy place. Terrifying. Yeah, they have a golf course. It was built by their scientists. And, no way. And they say that this golf course kept a lot of scientists from going mad. What? Wait, wait. Community Links is a product of uh, of Los Alamos. Yes. Yes. Oh, this is even more fascinating now. Yeah, this is, yeah it's good. I've, I like this story. So, uh, no, my dad's it, a physicist. Oh, he is. Yeah, and I know what he was doing at Sandia. He was researching what happens to uh, semiconductors, what makes computers work in a nuclear environment. Wow. And yeah, so there's... he would go there, you know, two weeks a month. Yeah. So. And so, I didn't realize he, he, I don't even he might have even played this course. Oh, I'm sure. I think he, has. he brought his sticks with I'm, him a couple he, times. He had to have. It's, so it's the they say it's the the country's longest cul-de-sac because you got to drive 45 minutes up and it just ends. Whoa! In Los Alamos. That's government money yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. So so what was it? Can you tell me what it was called originally? The Los Alamos Golf Course. I think it's always been called the Los Alamos Golf Course. And could you know a little bit about the history of that place? So it was. Uh, 
in Los Alamos, you didn't have a name. You had a number. So it was completely top secret. It was not open to anybody. They wouldn't even tell you the people that live there. As a, as a, oh, see, okay. So Los Alamos is not only a laboratory. It's also a living community. Yeah, now it is. Now it's a full open. It's not really incorporated as a city. It's still called the county of Los Alamos. Okay. Uh, but when, So you would get mail to your address and it would say... It would, it would be, there would be no name? There'd be no names. It'd be, and every, every house had a number to it, and you had a number, and it was all the family from all the scientists, because it was top secret stuff. I mean, this was the World War II type of time, time frame when they were actually creating stuff that turned out to change world history. But Yeah, Fermi and, is just yeah. changing shit up. And Oppenheim, Robert J. Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer and all that right. stuff. And so Manhattan all, Project. The Manhattan Project, yes. Uh, the... Uh, Actually, Brett Klein has a very good story about uh, this in his book. Uh, he he actually was part of the team on that design. I'm um, a huge Brad Klein fan. Why was he involved? Uh, I brought him as part of my team, oh. and uh, we when we submitted our, our our team to the county, Brad was going to serve in the capacity of of kind of what are the Raiders what do the Raiders think, and if we're going to make some changes to the golf course, we want people to come up here to play, and we had some grand uh, scheme to. To expose it to all the other the local casinos, and we were going to make a big kind of push to to really revitalize the golf course. It wasn't just going to be a little scientist course anymore. And so that's he was part of the team on that. And he tells a story about how we walked into the Corks Bar, one of the few bars in Los Alamos, and he orders a Manhattan. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, not not because yeah. only Brad Klein would would come up with that. Yeah, irony not yeah. lost. He's yeah. too intelligent for his right. own uh, right. sense of humor. That's right. So yeah, that's, so the, the the scoff. We started uh, working on the master plan of this course, and part, well, I apologize. So yeah, the master plan of changing it. When, when did it open? Do you know? Or just like sixties ish? Yeah, I want to say it was late 30s early 40s oh wow yeah oh it, wow yeah it was it's been a while around a while and basically at that time private to scientists only or numbers only well you couldn't get into los alamos unless you were the scientists right so that that's where that this whole cul-de-sac came there was gates to get at you currently can you can you can yes, now you absolutely just, and you drive by the entrance to sandia which i or uh, sorry to los alamos i've seen that yeah and it's a it's incredibly fortress yeah yeah it's near white sands right the, uh, no, it's north of uh, north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's blurry. Sort of. Yeah. I was abducted. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> By aliens. Um, okay, moving on. So, yeah. Okay, so anyway, you, so you, what year do you come in? This is two thousand and twelve. Okay. They did a, a national search for golf architects and, and teams, irrigation con, uh, consultants. Uh, management and marketing feasibility consultants and golf architects and I was you know the architect was the the leader of the team and we brought a, a series of people and we all put our proposals together and I was at uh, in the end I was chosen out of we, maybe what? six or eight firms and why did they choose you uh, community links I guess ultimately no well, I, I, I brought I brought a perspective of they cared about sustainability for one and they have their own water treatment facility, and so they were very interested in how to uh, make a, an irrigation system way more efficient. And and then, uh, you know, between Brad and I, we, we knocked it out of the park in our interview. I mean, it was it was like, it wasn't even a contest, right? So, I mean, Brad, Brad does a very good interview. He's good. So, and is this a, um, so it's a county-owned, it's municipal? Yeah, that's correct. 
how does this relate to you know because I was lucky enough to speak with Riley and uh, Keith last week. Yeah. Um, uh, what? How does this? Does this share any similarities as far as? Well, you know, one of the things that they did that sounded very interesting to me, which was uh, they basically managed a lot of the construction themselves, thus lowering uh, overall, you know, financial footprint. Yeah. So they were fortunate enough to actually get it constructed. So we never actually did any work at Los Alamos. I see. So we did the master plan, went in front of their council, and they ultimately chose not to go forward with. So they said yes, and then they said no. They, they said, we love your idea, we're just not going to pay for it. Fantastic. Yeah. So I this, see. The similarities with, with Winter Park is, is right in the middle of downtown, community golf course. This was 18 holes with a driving range, uh, not the nine-hole uh, Winter Park concept, but very much the same. I would say one significant difference is their government, their leadership you know, endorsed and and put their their money behind their uh, their mouths that did something with their golf course. So when we look, so okay, so but the community links itself is not an idea in terms of I mean th- this led to something else, right? Yes. It, so I've I've the one that actually is in the ground functioning that I'm incredibly proud of is the Rockwind Community Links project in Hobbs, New Mexico. It happens to be in the same state as Los Alamos, kind of just happened to be. Uh, but it was, if it wasn't for what happened in Los Alamos, Rock Wind would never have happened in, in Hobbs. So did you see at the time that Los Alamos was a failure? So I mean I mean how do you how do you react to that? I think it's one of the one of the interesting things I find talking to people on the podcast usually share a lot of similarities is how we all deal with setbacks or failures or delays or whatever. I mean, there seems to be a common thread. And so I'm curious to know what your experience was like in twenty twelve when you're like Really? How much time yeah. did you put on so, into the pitch? Oh, yeah, it, it, incredible. So I, I'll say that Community Links was born after I was hired at Los Alamos. So the, the, the short story of Los Alamos was part of the, the development of Los Alamos with the numbers and all those other things. They had an entire part of their golf course identified for housing that never actually got built. So there was a portion of their golf course, that of their property, that was not golf course. But it could have been the most spectacular three or four holes because there was these natural rock cliffs. And it was a whole chunk that the golf course never even touched. And I go out there as a golf architect and say, we got to get golf out here because this will be on every magazine of everything in New Mexico. So being the golf architect, I want to go put golf out there on these rid- these ridges. I, w- I want you too. Yeah. I want to go there right now. Yeah. Well, it's, well you can because here's, here's what happened though. It was equestrian trails. It was bike trails. It was hiking trails. And they were commuters that would get to work. Very outdoor, very active uh, part of the, of, of the state. And obviously, since in Los Alamos, I think it was 9 or 10% play golf and 90% don't, those other 90% had a problem with me putting the golf course on the edge of this property. So here I am showing all these cool renderings and these things about what the golf course could be. And oh, by the way, I'd have to, tre- have to clear some trees, and they like trees up there. They're really nice. <laughs> we all like trees. I just like the right trees in the right golf, places. Golf architects <laughs> hate trees. It's funny. It's so funny. To but me. in order to get a golf hole in, we would have to remove some trees. And so what happened was is that I, we were ready to finish the plan. My people, The people that I was reporting to were like, this is going to be awesome. I love this golf course. Hey, it's our property. We can do what we want. Well, the community went crazy, as you can imagine. 
and we they forced a town hall meeting with me because they heard that the county was going to put a golf course on this property. It was probably about three or four, three or four holes. One of which was this complete floor, you know, full carry over this rock chasm with a little green on the other side. It was I still have the rendering of it. It's, it would have been in, incredible. They they ended up letting that stayed in the plan. And so I, I come up with this, they have this 120 year old building and I walk in and it's standing room only. I mean, the entire town, you know, oh, county God. is there. Did they have rope? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. And so the golfers were over here kind of slouched and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And they've got a small newspaper. They got the radio going. They got their Facebook page, you know, going crazy. And I stood up in front of this, uh, in front of this meeting and, and, I had kind of know, had known that this was this was starting to, to bubble over, and I had some conversations with their parks and rec department, and I so I kind of came in thinking, all right, I got to figure this out. And I stood in front of the group and I said, guys, golf golf has failed you. You know, we didn't have this call, they didn't have this meeting before we even started. So I apologize for that. So let's let's I'm going to do everything we can to start over. But what I will say is that I'm trying to link your golf course with you guys. So I'm going to sit here and talk to you. Let's talk about community links. I'm going to, let's brand this community links. It came up basically in this out fly? of necessity on the fly Whoa. in front of this, I would guess it was probably at least 150 people, if not more. Is it because you're about to be lynched by the community? <laughs> <laughs> I figured, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was my last ditch effort, I guess, but no, I, I, the, the Parks and Rec had, had told me that there was a couple of pieces of the, the, their full plan that we didn't really integrate in the golf course. I said, guys, we got a plan. we got a solution. So we're starting over. This is how we're going to handle it. And really what ended up happening, like this went on for maybe 90 minutes this night, cold night. It was a, a winter night. And they gave me a standing ovation. No way. Yeah, it, and I still the have people. The non-golfers too. Yeah, the non-golfers did, and and I was from then on it was the first time I'd ever been accused of a, as being a salesman. Like you could sell ice to an Eskimo, Andy. Like, and so what is the passion? I think it was the passion for what I thought this golf course needed to be for your community, and so we ended up ultimately we did, we had to change the plan to move some of the golf off that ridge because the trails needed to stay. And we came to an agreement, but at the end of the day, that 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 is how Community Links was born. And after that, I said, you know what, that whole conversation that I had, I don't ever want to have it again. And so I come into these municipal, these kind of uh, public golf situations and say, I need to figure out what is the hot button to link because your golf course is not going to go away. I'm going to see, see to that. How do we link it to your community? And so Community Links uh, was was born. And I took, not very long after that, I took this story down to the city manager of Hobbs, New Mexico, exactly the same thing. Their golf course was falling apart. I don't know if you've ever been to Hobbs. It's not the, the prettiest of towns. It's a, a oil town of basically West Texas. And their golf course is really the best part in town. And I said, listen, you know, you're, you, we've been talking about doing a little par three, little uh, short course. And I said, let me tell you about Community Links. This is how I'd like to see this. And I remember specifically the city manager said, I can sell that. And so we went and I said, all right, let's start to, to develop this concept. We had town hall meetings. We had the community in. We had some non-golfers in. 
and we sold it the way it should have been sold. And Rockwind Community Links was born from community uh, uh, taking their golf course, revitalizing it to a full trail system, a new clubhouse, a new uh, five-acre re reclaimed water storage. And there was a way, every time I went in front of the mayor and the council, I had 7-0 support. The mayor was on board, went on camera and said, you know, we, are, we as a city are uh, choosing to support the game of golf. And this is a 30-year 30, 30 life cycle, maybe 50-year life cycle for the game of golf. And we think it's good for our community and good for our kids. And so, Rock, so Rockwind Community Links is really, to me, the, the kind of the, the, the beacon, I would say, for the work I do in the, in the municipal sector. That is so fascinating. I, uh, I, have, a, I have a tremendous amount of questions. I'm going to take a <laughs> quick two-second break. Everybody hang on. All right, everybody, time to hear from maybe what's soon to become your best friend, Blue Chew. Okay, here's the deal. Do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. I'm talking about increasing your performance and getting that extra confidence. You guessed it, on the driving range. Nope, I mean in bed. Seriously, listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, not the color that your balls were before you got this wonderful. Okay, moving on. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it's the real deal. I've tried it, and I'm afraid to say I couldn't leave the house for beep. And it's the stuff that works, exclamation point. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even eat them in a sandwich. I'm just kidding. I haven't actually looked into that. But the point is, even on a full stomach, because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. For example... After getting your sandwich at Chick-fil-A and you realize that maybe you were hungry for something else. That's the phone ringing, folks, but it's not Blue Chew calling me to tell me that this ad is unairable. It's someone else calling me to find out if I really use Blue Chew. Anyway, hang on, because here's the deal. This isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants extra function and to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Now, here is actually an interesting subject because... Have I, do I realize that you can always be better at something that you're not the best? Tiger Woods, for example. All right, I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to go any further. Anyway, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. That means that it doesn't say Blue Chew all over it. I'm going to get laid in four minutes. So there's no in-person doctor's visit and no waiting at the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness unless you eat a lot of blue chew before the date. Okay, moving on. They're made in the USA, and since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. That means you listening right now. Pull over the lawnmower, get out your pen and paper. You're going to go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free. Free? Wait, hang on. Free? You're going to get your first... Jeez, I'm going to I'm going to text this to everybody except... Mom and Dad, please skip past this. This is embarrassing. Anyway, you're going to get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code ERIK, E-R-I-K. Don't spell my name wrong this time, folks. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue, B-L-U-E, chew, C-H-E-W.com. Promo code ERIK, E-R-I-K, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, folks. You know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, 
And so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tor 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tor 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tor 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about a heavy there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes and i'm just like by the way i weigh enough there's enough going on i'm carrying a golf bag i'm carrying my team um tor xt changes the game it's lighter so your feet feel even better after a round and it still features that boost y'all do you know where boost comes from it and boost is cool because it only comes in black and white i don't know if you noticed that and actually they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other you know they, they were shopping it around and everyone else said, no, Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet. Boost on my feet. Uh, and it has an X-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability. Literally, it's not sane. It's literally crazy. Your feet will literally be like, I'm crazy. Best part, it comes in spikeless. Ooh, that's tight. The first spikeless ever in the history of the Tour 360. Crazy comfortable and perfect for the course. Get your pair at adidas.com. Thank me later. Follow Adidas Golf for all the latest and greatest. That's all true statements right there. Check it out. Go support Adidas because they're a good company, good people. I like it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason. And we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now check out this podcast. Because right. yeah. so before we get, we just got done with a break and we, we're gonna have Andy's having a sip of coffee here. Before we get into Rockwind too much, I kinda want more on this the first town hall meeting. So I'm I'm here in this town hall meeting. You're com- you're basically uh Daniel Day Lewis and there will be blood. Yeah. You're like, we Absolutely. must find oil and everyone's like, get out of here, we don't want it, we don't want golf. And I I guess the way I'm trying to picture it is um, you're, 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 the, the idea that you would go in there and say something like golf has failed you, let me start over is, um, is really, you know, why I'm so grateful to be able to meet people like you and, and, and have you, uh, you know, talk about your version of golf to the people listening, because this is unusual, right? The idea that you could, love a sport so much be deep inside the game of it right the the creation of the courses themselves without which you really it's hard to play well you could still play actually i found but (laughs) but you know i mean and you're basically sort of you're raising your hand with the uh with the group that are saying you know nay and so can you describe that statement golf has failed you a little bit more sure so as as a golf architect you're traditionally we've been hired because we've got the the vision for what that golf course is supposed to look like and rarely ever do we want to work in a committee base we we want to be able to say this is what we want to do this is our vision and oh by the way this is my plan so i've drawn i'd take whatever number of you know days or months to, to draw up a plan and i present it and because it's my plan you should be able to say yes so let's do that plan and as an architect, you rarely are ever asked to, all right, let's, let's think about not doing exactly what you want to do. 
And that that that's what essentially what happened is that at Los Alamos is that I was asked to do I had to come up with a plan because if I didn't come up with some other plan, we weren't going to do anything. And so I would like to tell you that that as an architect, we we kind of did things the wrong way for a lot of years. And I feel especially in a in a sense of of promoting the game to non-golfers, especially when tax money and all these things are going in and 90% of the people don't play golf are actually paying as much as the guys that do. And never thought of that. Yeah. That's that, fucked up. That's a big deal. And how do you, how, does that have a solution? How do you fix well, that one? So, so, well, I would, I would offer that, that the game or the course has to continue to market the, be the benefits and the values of their community that it is for more than just the 90%. It does have stormwater management. It does have carbon sequestration. It does have uh, open green space and, and clean air uh, attributes and things that 90% also benefit from. But doesn't the, isn't, aren't some, most municipal courses financially sustainable? I would tell you, you know, I don't, I don't know that I know all the, the there's the 2,800 2, or so municipal courses, and I can tell you I talk to probably two dozen a year, you know, trying to get work out of them. And, and not many of them are financially feasible. They lose money. They lose money. So non, yeah, wow. Non-golfers are basically paying for your rounds. They, they, Thank a non -golfer. they subsidize the game of golf. They subsidize the round because essentially if they were to try to charge the amount that they needed to per green fee to, to break even, they'd have to charge way more. So they opt to charge less for green fees, and and subsidize the rest through a, a, a general fund out of the out of their uh, general fund of the, of the of their tax base. And so part of your mission, in some ways, is to uh, stop that, at least break even. But I will say there's a couple of things. You know, if you know anything about politics and city government, they zero they, they spend they spend you know. Uh, way more than what the public the private sector does so that's one of the re reasons why oh on, you know, like they just overpay on on a cost of a superintendent on the labor force they have to why? pay benefits and things you know the government the, the, oh, the oh, union, government union work labor, that yeah thing. so right off the bat they're probably 20 to 40 percent higher in in labor rates why that why is that first why is that well, that's that's a that's a bigger question, but but I what I will say the one thing that a golf course allows to do in a city they're one of the few that actually has a chance of making their money back, whereas all the other green space, all the other open space, the soccer fields, you know the things that that uh, that is are paid for out of the the general fund, uh, those are those are a loss. They all lose, and golf has the only ability to actually create revenue. Back. But they're not nearly as expensive. I mean, I guess a baseball diamond's kind of expensive. The cost and the the the, uh, the the construction and the upkeep. It's if you if you take all of that green space and see how much a city pays for it in a year, it's considerable. Do you like speaking in front of people? So back to this, golf has failed me. Yeah, uh, failed speech, you. Your opus. <laughs> your um, I didn't realize how much I needed to, and I have to. So I, you know, I I was deathly afraid of getting in front of people. That meeting in Los Alamos, I was shaking i could see that not that, being your forte it's not my forte i don't like it either yeah but you but i will say we're we're advocates for the game so now it's a matter of it's a matter of we have to be good at that you had a mission <laughs> yeah i if i wasn't good at it then or at least a a, a certain level of of uh 
um, you know, skill or whatnot, then we, I wouldn't hold a, I wouldn't stand a chance. Well, on the other hand, if you had been too suave, maybe no one would have trusted you. There's, a, there's some truth to that too. You came in real. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's about not being nervous. It's about just being real. Like, I mean, that's, I would much rather have someone be nervous and just tell it like it is. Right. So, how long did you have to talk for? I'm just still blown away by this fucking community <laughs> meeting, basically changing the face of golf for you know many many people. Yeah, the people so. listening maybe. I, I had I had many people that were completely against me coming up, and now I, I and I still keep in touch with a lot. Of, actually, some years later, I'm I'm in touch with them still, and they're non golfers. They haven't started playing golf yet. They still haven't started. Are you are you going to try to get them? <laughs> it, it, do you think the ultimate will be when uh, Scrooge picks up a club? Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> that would be really good. That is kind of my. I love when people don't think they're going to like golf and then get into it. I, you know I, what? What I love about the message that you're sending is. Is that you're actually you're cap you're 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 describing the the reasons why people that aren't necessarily into golf or or are curious about it should be playing and I think that's one of the the biggest you know question marks in my mind about the game is you have this perception of the game and then you have our reality we're so passionate about playing the game of golf why doesn't more why don't more people see that because there's this perception that it's one thing when we would say it's another. And you're starting to kind of close that gap in my, in my estimation. Yeah. What do you think the perception is? Can you, can you define those? I mean, they're obviously unique to every individual, but how do you see those two? Like, like, where, like can you draw a picture of both, of the perception versus the reality? Well, I can tell you one of the perceptions of my community meetings that I have, not just in Los Alamos, not just in Hobbs, is that... I was working in the county of San Luis Obispo, California, and I had a whole group of non-golfers there, and I said, let me ask you a question. If, if, if this were the game, you were able to bring your family, you were able to wear whatever you wanted to wear, you were able to have a, 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 a equipment there waiting for you, or, and it was somewhat economical, and oh, by the way, there were walking trails, and you could do these other things at this golf course, and I remember specifically the woman that was sitting in the front. Uh, if if that's what you're talking about, I would try the game of golf. And so I start to ask those types of questions. I think, and that's they ask they they tell me that they we've never been asked that question before. And back to this idea that the golf golf has failed you comment is we never did we didn't care about the guys that weren't playing golf. So we never asked the question. We only asked the questions about from golfers. And it's one of the things that I drives me crazy about my industry is. We spend a lot of time talking to each other. We all talk to each other, and we all tell each other that we're drinking the Kool-Aid. And it's rare that do we ever actually get outside of, of the game, to and actually take a real look at ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, well, maybe there are things we've been doing for the last thirty or forty years haven't been working. Well, why is that? Well, gosh dang it, I'm not going to change it. That's what we. That's that's the perception I'm talking about. And then, so you can very easily draw a picture of that and those types of things that. The Winter Parks, what I think has happened at Hobbs, you know, Goat Hill Park, those are the things that, those are examples that are real, they're happening, and I would tell you that's the picture that we should be showing a lot of people about the game of golf, and it, it just doesn't get through. They see the Masters, you know, they see the the, the gates around the, the high-end private club, which I'm all for private clubs, uh, I mean, some of the best experiences I've ever had, you know, I still work with private clubs, but the perception is they see this big gate. Oftentimes, some have barbed wire on them, 
Um, and so they, they see that. And you go to Scotland, you mentioned Scotland, you don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Andrews closes down on Sundays and you walk your, you know, walk, walk your dog and it's an open park. You know, that's the way they see the game. That's not the way we see it here. The barbed wire is pretty shocking. <laughs> keep it, keep your the, eye out. The barbed wire is pretty intense. I mean, it's like, what's going? What is someone really trying to get into that bad? <laughs> is the chicken tenders really that good? I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, wow, dude. The description at San Luis O. Yeah. That's terrifying. It, it terrifies me. Yeah. To think that here's a person who's been on Earth. For, who knows, how old was she? 50? She 40? was probably 55 or 60, yeah. Okay. Golf's been around, whatever, nine times as long as her life. Yeah. And it has somehow morphed into something that, number one, she doesn't understand, and number two, she as a human doesn't realize that she would enjoy. Yeah. It's so sad. I mean, you know, it's like people seem to build this picture that golf was invented by uh, George Washington, general of the army, president of the United States of America. It was just invented by a dude who was like, his job was to make sure the sheep didn't run away. Yeah. It was a blue collar game. So I have, I have a, a story and you could, you probably could shoot holes in my, my thesis here, but I have a good friend. His name's Casey. He's, his son, Colt lives here in Phoenix. A brand new course just opened up. I uh, did a major renovation resort course. And he lives nearby. He's a local resident. He says, you know what? I'm going to go to their new range and I'm going to hit golf balls. And as a resident, he walked over there and the very first question he got was, are you staying at the resort? And, you know, Casey's smart on uh, off the cuff guy. He's like, um, I'm guessing my answer to that is yes, because Dang. that's the only way he's going to hit golf balls. Right. So yeah, granted it's a resort. And there's all kinds of reasons why he probably should have known that he couldn't go over there, but he's there with his son, Cole. And he wants to hit golf balls with his son. His son is nine years old. And they say, sorry, sir, we're not going to, we, we, we can't let you hit golf balls. And so he leaves, and the woman comes out and says, actually, you know what? If you, if you pay the guy 20 bucks, he'll take you down to the range, and you can hit some golf balls. Anyway, so he went, finally, he went, I, I came out. I might as well hit golf balls. They get back in the car after hitting golf balls, sit in the car. Guess what Cole says? Dad, that place sucked. And, and like... That's a nine-year-old whose experience is developing about the game of golf, and I believe that there's, you know, to me there's a there's a microcosm there that if you if you span that out across a lot of golf courses a lot, across a lot of area in the United States, you'll find some of that same repeatable theming of it. Just we make it very difficult to get in the game and to enjoy the game. It's so interesting. I think what. I, I'm I'm guessing, but I'm Cole is the name of the son, the young yep. man. Yep. So I'm I'm guessing Cole watched his father become embarrassed. Am I right? <laughs> Probably. And I would imagine that as your son, as a son, you would be like, "Well, that sucks. Why would they want to make you feel that way?" Yeah. And I'm realizing now, as I like flicker through my rolodex of embarrassing golf experiences, because I have several dozen <laughs> that have happened both to me and that I've heard about. Like you know, for example, my dad, one of the most polite and nice guys like on earth, dude. Like. Literally, just like a sweetheart, um, you know, went to the driving range at the course where he lives that he's a member of because he owns a property on this. You know, it's one of these, um, you know, uh, Great Waters, right? So Georgia, they build the course, they sell the homes, they sell the homes, you know, fine deal, right? And so he's on the range and they come to him and they say, sir, you can't, uh, can't wear jeans. And he's wearing jeans with a belt and a collared shirt. And it's like, 
Okay. I mean, you know, I'm all for, uh, you know, dress code. I get it. You know, I mean, actually, no, I'm not all for dress code. It's just so silly. Like, but he's not dressed like a jerk. And it's also just like, you're going to kick him off the range because the jeans are that offensive. Also, I know my dad's jeans. They're nice jeans. But in either event, that's, that, that is an embarrassing moment. I've brought women. I brought Miss America to my home course in Los Angeles. And they made her change. They made her buy something in the pro shop because of the measurement between her knees and the bottom of her skirt. Meanwhile, she's been on TV because she's you know an all-around interesting, smart, intelligent, thoughtful, and beautiful woman. And now she, but she doesn't know the rules of the golf course, even though, and I'm just like, why are we embarrassing people when they come out and they've decided to, I mean, if a, if you walked into a hotel and they were like, I'm sorry, sir, you can't have a part going to the right in your hair. You need to have it straight back or you need to have it to the right. It's borderline like, uh, illegal. Like, uh, you know, I don't, is there a, is there an ism for clothing? Right. Right. (laughs) Well, so one of the things that I think a lot about and I talk a lot about is, Let's imagine what the game should be like in the United States and think about it being something that is growing and people are playing a lot of. And we can probably come up with a lot of different things. You know, dress code is one of them for sure. The different types of, of, of courses you play is another one. The length, the number of holes, uh, the, the equipment, the, uh, the, the list can go on. Will that game... If we drew that picture, would that make the traditional golfer, as we know him today or her today, happy with the game? And I think you're going to find a lot of people that are traditional in the game that would not like that view, would not like. So if you actually can figure out a way to, to save the game and make it grow, as we, as we all say, uh-huh. you're going to piss a lot of the traditional golfers off. And I'm seeing that. I'm, I'm seeing the family on one side who all he wants to do is go to his club and let his kids play in the bunker. I'm having dinner. There's a practice bunker. And my kid wants to play in the bunker. And then the general manager comes out, yells at the kid, says, can't play in the bunker. Right. And then you got the, you know, the baby boomer over here saying, screaming at the top of his lungs, get the kid out of the bunker. You're not changing my golf course. That's not the game that I grew up with. It's a very odd dynamic that we're going through. And I would like to believe that one course at a time, and if nothing else, the municipal sector courses should be something that we make sure is indicative of what we think this game should be to get people involved and, and, and passionate about something that we are so passionate about. Yeah. I really, I've never seen that many people saying, get out of the bunker. I, I don't see it, but it happens, you know, it happens in the, in the private, private market a lot. I guess when I go to private courses, I, I mean, I've played some nice courses. I don't know what happens. I always wonder how people perceive me. <laughs> you know, I always wonder that. Are they just like, who is this clown? This is specific to families, I would tell you, um, and kids and things like that. But, I, you know, each one of these examples, so I have some of my own life life experiences and, and I have my own perspective of, of, of what it's like to go into the pro shop. I would just say that we as golfers have a really hard, well, you, would, you came to the game late. If you could just remember what it was like going into a pro shop the very first time, that's not a welcoming place. It's terrifying. Yeah. And so that right there alone, now you can, you can go on all kinds of offshoots of, oh, what about dress code? What about this? Just purely that first hello in the game of golf misses the mark. Yeah. It was interesting when we were talking about, at one point earlier in the podcast, this, this did occur to me, the idea of how hard it is 
to um, put the old glasses back on of what golf was like before I knew what golf was like. You know, because now I go into a pro shop and I'm like, are they going to ask me if I was in the Vice commercial? Did they see Adventures in Golf? Or do they just think I'm a weirdo? All their way, it's all good. I'm still going to be... And I've learned that now I have the confidence to just walk in and be like, I don't fucking care. You know what I mean? And I did that in the Augusta Pro Shop. I was like, hey, everybody, good morning. Where, where's the visors? We're out of visors. No way. Are you sure there's none in the back? I really wanted an Augusta visor because I'm going to spend, you know, whatever. And so I don't mind being a quote, quote unquote clown, like, yeah. you know, for, you know, per enjoyment, personal and otherwise. But in the beginning, yeah, I mean, it was like, what am I allowed to do? These people clearly are bothered by my presence here, which is strange because last time I checked, I'm paying, which means that I'm right as the customer. But in this scenario, it doesn't apply. Why does hospitality not apply to golf? Why is it all of a sudden I'm an asshole for choosing you, right? It it's uh it's 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 an, it's real. It's a real it's a real scenario. And when I, I come back to the community links, you know, knowing all that and knowing how difficult it is just to get us on the game, to me, community links became a way to start saying, all right, well, I know that this is about golf, and I know I'm gonna have a really hard time kind of breaking that apart. I'm not gonna be the one managing your pro shop. I don't know what your marketing budget is, but oh, by the way, I'm, I'm a land planner enough to know if I give you a walking trail, if I, if I give you the opportunity to park at the clubhouse and you don't play golf. Did you know that a lot of non-golfers think that they don't even des deserve to come onto the golf course property because that they don't play golf? Why would I ever go to the golf course? Well, they're told that. Yeah, well. Golfers only. So, so yeah, right. So then, so then, well, what happens if I put a walking trail in a parking lot that you might actually stop and buy something there, right? Well, and so those are the have things. Lunch. Those are the things, and have lunch. And those are the things that I feel. I'm not trying to take on the golf industry, if you will, because I still think there's 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 things that even a golf architect. I don't even want to touch that. But what I can do is give you a process to allow those things to occur. And then if you choose to use them, uh, then as a golf operator owner you can you know hopefully do it that's and to me that's where that's where i feel like the impact i'm making in, in the municipal sector if you will is they're not smart enough to know all, how to spatially plan all that that's my job sure so i'm giving them that opportunity and, and it was a way to, it was really quite honestly a way to try to get the support of that 90 percent that doesn't play golf to finally do something with their golf course and oh by the way you know you might actually pick up a stick when you're walk, <laughs> you know you're walking by the, the club i mean how else are you going to do it how do you get into golf? Not by Golf Channel. No offense. You're not going to turn on the TV and be like, that looks fun. It looks terrifying. Right. It always looks terrifying. And no part of golf is not terrifying at this point, I'm realizing. No, it isn't. It just Even is... going to the driving range with your dad. <laughs> I'm trying not to curse. Well, I, I, I would say, too, though, we're really bad as an industry to bring new people to the game. Yeah. Uh, we I wonder don't, why that is. Is it because of, is it because we don't like crowding? We want faster rounds. What is it? Well, I I, I believe personally. Uh, so I'll I'll give you a, a, a good example of. Uh, I've got five guys here, uh, five of us, four buddies. So it's a fivesome, right? And so if any time we want to play golf, we either play three and two. Oh God. Or one of us doesn't play. What's the difference? <laughs> so, you, but, it, but but it's real. I live here in Phoenix, Scottsdale, and you can't play five anywhere else unless maybe you're a member of a private club. Phoenix Country Club. Yeah. So the, so but, but big gate. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So 
So I, there's a new course here in town called Mountain Shadows. It's an 18-hole par-3 course. And, you know, my four buddies know I'm a golf business, so they're always asking me, hey, let's go get some golf. Where can we play? Where can we play? Let's go play Mountain Shadows. No, I don't want to play that. That's a par-3 course. I want to play golf. Reasonable. So these guys are not all great golfers. They're probably, you know, one was maybe a, a 8 or 10 handicap. Everything, you know, the other three guys are probably uh, 12 on up to 18. So they keep asking me, I got to go see this because a competitor of mine did it, uh, Forrest Richardson, turned out great, but I want to go see it. So the fourth time they say, okay, finally. They asked me on a Friday afternoon. I'm like, guys, it's Friday. I can't get a tee time. So we go play. We play five. It's their favorite course to go play. So what does Andy do? Andy Staples. I'm talking to the third person here. Andy <laughs> plays all kinds of games, right? I play uh, one club rules. Uh, you know, I play, um, you know, team events. You know, and now we're playing a game on a par three course. We play in two and a half hours, and those guys are the ones calling me. Let's go back to Mountain Shadows, and and they would never have they would have never have done that had I not almost forced them to go play. And so we as golfers, I think we're very poor at, you know, we don't bring our kids to the game. You know, we, we're very quick to say, oh, my son or daughter doesn't like golf. You know, I'm, you know, I'm past that. I'm forcing my three boys to to play golf. And then we don't want to be we don't want to be inconvenienced with having to teach someone to play golf. Mm. It's really hard to teach Whoa. someone to play golf. I have enough problems. <laughs> right. You know what? I'm going to put my mask on. Then you'll take care of yours <laughs> yeah, in five you years. Do, yeah, you go do it with it yourself. If you want to play, you figure it out. You know how hard Whoa. this game is. Oh, never thought of that. Yeah, people are fucking selfish. There's a little bit of that. I know what you're saying though. Like if I'm going, like I've. There have been a couple of times where I've like um, met somebody who's like, "Let's, I'd love to play golf with you." And I'm like, "Have you ever played?" And they're like, "No." And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, well, I really must like you if I'm going to bring you out because yeah. it is a burden to yeah. some extent." But it's interesting because um, you know we we like we look at golf. You know, you're talking about the idea of not wanting to go try this new place. By the way, Mountain Shadows. I tried it. I was like, "This is chill." Yeah. I do wish it was an executive. I wish they got a couple. It was an executive. Oh, it, it, it oh. was an executive. They got rid of the range of the par fours to build condos. And a couple par fours would have been nice. Yeah, air the driver out, maybe a three yeah. wood, maybe I a little driving iron. Par three is a little hard to find your rhythm, but eighteen chances of a hole in one doesn't bother me. <laughs> That's right. Um, vibe, vibes, vibes, all vibes. But uh, but you know it is interesting that the guys are saying unwilling to try something new. It's almost like our time is so precious that we're unwilling to try the uh, the new item on the menu. Because we already know we like the other one, and we're just terrified that we might not like it, and then we're stuck with that bad decision, which is a hard way to live your life. I've luckily gotten out of it, and now I'm refreshed to try something new in golf and something weird. I don't. I'm not really afraid of having a bad experience anymore. Yeah, but like, I, where I, do you play is a huge question that Machinella it makes his living off of. Yes, where do I play golf? Where do I play golf? I'm terrified to go to the wrong place. So, so I'll give it, this is story time, I know. So here's a story. I'm, we're in Coronado Island in San Diego. And Coronado Golf Course, they do 70,000 rounds a year. And the same five buddies I was just talking about, uh, we now increased to six. So there's six of us in Coronado for a weekend. We want to go play golf. So Casey with Cole prior, he's one of the guys. So I say... All right, here's our ploy. We're going to go up there and we're going to say we're going to play alternate shot, two-man teams, and we're going to have six guys in the, in the, in the, the foursome, 
but there's only going to be three balls in play at a time, and all six of us are going to pay the same rate. And I, we about blew the, the, the pro's mind. He's yeah, like, you're a prankster, dude. He's like, this is like a what? prank. This is a video. I'm going to do this as a video. <laughs> so, so he's like, no, you don't understand. So we're playing. You know what alternate shot is, right? Yeah, I know what an alternate shot is. Okay, so there's six of us. <laughs> we're only going to play three balls. We're each going to play. It's just, oh, no, no, no. No we, no, we can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. So, and by the so, way, how much is the tea time there? Uh, it was probably 60 bucks. Okay. All right, so so it's, so it's not it's not like pebble. You're not you're not well, like breaking some. No, no. But what what else is funny about this? Like you said, seventy thousand rounds. It takes you five five and a half hours to play this place. So, so you're not holding anybody. Act. Yeah. So we get we we we're not happy with our first no. So good for you. We're like, all right, how are we gonna do this? And I'm like, guys, you know, I know the guys here. I gotta be careful. All right, let's go one more time. So me and Casey go up there. Casey kind of throws a little Jedi mind trick on him, and, and I just, just want to make sure you're aware. We're talking about six rounds, three balls. He thinks about it, and he says, if I see more than three balls at a time, you're out of here. But okay, go ahead. Oh, good. So he gets us out there. We find, we, we, we kind of, we, you know, the shock had worn out. Right, right. And so, well played. So, so again, so now we have six guys. We all play in the same force. We had three cards. You know, it's you know, I'm a walker normally, but these guys are all card guys. And so again, some of the best golf we've ever played. They st- we still talk about the alternate shot. These these five other buddies had never played alternate shot. They didn't even know what it was. I said, okay, I hit. Now you hit. Now I'll hit. You know, that's the thing. And so, you know, why is it that these are these are real golfers? They have their own golf clubs. They they pay real money for golf. They all can afford to be members of clubs if they really wanted to play a dozen rounds a year or more. Or something. Yeah, or more. Yeah, yeah. Now the one Casey's there. He's a he's a, he's into golf big time. Um, you know, where Colt said that it right. sucked. But, uh, so, but yet they never play alternate shot. Now, why why are five hardcore golfers unaware that alternate shot even exists? Uh, well, I mean, they've seen the Ryder Cup, I'm sure. They have, but they don't. But they're they don't terrified to play to, it. Yeah, so so we, I, we don't we don't want to play a scramble. We don't want to play a shamble. We don't want to play best ball. We don't want to play alternate <laughs> shot. I don't want to play nine. I don't want to play twelve. Right. I want to play eighteen right. holes like Tiger fucking Woods. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I paid for. Right. That's what I want. I'm watching but, golf on TV, and I want that experience. I want to have a real hole in one. Right. I'm gonna. Tee it up again. As opposed to a fake one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though my ball went out of bounds, I'm going to walk back to the tee, and I'm going to tee, I'm going to hit a provisional, then I'm going to go back to the tee. I'm going to play a $6 golf ball, even though I drive it 210. Like, whoa, dude. Yeah. TV is a large part of the problem. I, I, I believe it's the entire problem, really. Because that's, that's how we learn to play golf. You know, that's how all of our guys, they plumb up. They look at it from different set areas. They all have white belts. You know, they learn from TV. That's the only. That's the only way that people have have any type of of feeling of what golf is. Great. So this is a podcast, and people listen to it. And I'm going to say, if you're listening right now, and what we're saying is scary, go try it. <laughs> and if you don't like it, 
Andy will give you your money back. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a few courses you can try it on because I, I, everywhere I go, I, that's, I make sure that I try my best to do that. You, you should make a list of, um, you know, alternate shot approved, of staples approved, the staples <laughs> list. Right. The staples list meaning you can go into the pro shop and if you talk to, uh, you know, person A or person B, you can right. get approved for alternate shot. I, I think the reason why we don't want to do it is because we're – we're, we we do feel like the point of golf is to leave with a number, and when we play alternate shot, we do not leave with a number. It's very hard to put a relative uh, value on a feeling. Like like I don't know how many people are going to go out there and play golf. Why do we play golf? Why so, on earth? So so we love it. We we love everything it brings to us. We love being outside. We we love being with our friends. Um, but I'll say that number you hit it to me, and I think it's changing. We're less inclined to look for a number match play. We talk about why don't we play more match play? What I do with these guys that I play with, we always play for something, and nothing in golf is better than winning a hole when my seven beats your eight. Right? <laughs> right? That's golf. <laughs> So, so if you, if we have an understanding of how to play, I'm bad, but not as bad as you. (laughs) So, but that, so that's a number, right? So we always, we always leave having some money change hands. We always, someone buys the lunch or beers or something. And so the number to us isn't so much a 79 or an 82 or whatever. It's, you know, you owe me 25 bucks or you, you, I'm buying, I'm buying lunch. Right. That's the number for us. I love that. That is fun. And that's actually in the past year of my life. Those are the rounds that I've that have gotten me. I remember we played in uh, um, Glen Eagles. Uh, yeah, we played the James Braid, uh, the King's, yeah, course, King's course. And yeah. I played with my best friend, Stuart, Scottish gentleman, and our other mutual friend, Simon, and Colt. Who was also with me, my my uh, my guy. We worked yeah, together, yeah. and so it was Americans versus Scots. Yeah. It was it was a Ryder Cup, and I remember it was one of the most frustrating rounds of my life because I forgot how to play golf, but it mattered <laughs> because we were in we were playing for something, you know, we were playing one of the country's honor, yeah. Um, right. And it, but we didn't we only we only played uh, best ball, so so it was the best ball of the team. But so I, I think if you're it, the truth is though, Andy, I really appreciate it because if, if you're listening to this right now and. You're realizing that you've never played alternate shot or you've never done anything. I'd say, um, you know, open up, order the uh, smorgasbord of golf and try it all out because you never know what you might like. And the truth is, if you don't like it, great. Now you know. And you can write a letter and I'll read it on the podcast. (laughs) You can write Andy a letter. You know what I mean? Like just just try. I, I think though, and Andy, I am curious to know, do you think that if someone out there tries it, are they going to enjoy it? And, and and why would they or would they not? Well, it's hard it's hard to not enjoy it if you're with a bunch of good friends or family. So to me, at the end of the day, the golf golf to me, when you actually think about the experiences you've had, you either have it with your dad, with your friends, or your kids. Rarely are you thinking about that tournament score that you ground out a seventy five in the rain, right? <laughs> so it's a uh, it yeah. it doesn't rain where I live. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, in the in the wind. Yeah, yeah. So, so the smog. Yeah, it's it. So I would just encourage everybody to say you need to think about golf differently. It's not all the same. And I still play golf with a for a score. I that's there's a part part of What's golf. What's your handicap? I'm about a three, three or two, three or four. Player. 
<laughs> I, I've played enough in my life to, uh, to, to, to be okay, I guess. But uh, What is I've your least asked... favorite question to be asked? What's your handicap? There you go. It's my least favorite question to ask because I feel like it's very... <laughs> Uh, I don't, is there another way to ask essentially someone's skill? There is no, other no, way. there is another way. Uh, what I would tell you is fairly or unfairly, we are qualified in this, in the industry by how good of a golfer we are. And it's incredible how, no, your, your, your professional ability isn't qualified. Well, no, that, that sorry. Oh. Thank you for clarifying. If I'm a golf architect, I become a better golf architect if I'm a better player. Just by perception, if I if, that's if, not true. I I you can owners, kick Gil, you can kick Gil Hans's ass, and I'm sure he would but, agree. But I'm but I'm saying I'm saying maybe I'm better than Gil. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. He's not a tourist. No, in, ter- in terms of an architect. Um, so the uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've never right. seen your work. Right. I've only played. No. I played two of his courses. Right, right. We should have a head. I know Gil. I know Gil. So, uh, so he's play. laughing right now. So so no the owners owners love it. I've been around when they hear. I've been around ex tour pros. I when when they talk about being in the final group of the PGA Championship uh, up against Nicholas and and they, they love that. So the when you stand wait, wait. on the first tee. Wait, wait, did you just say you were in the final group? No, no, no. Oh. They love hearing those stories. I've I've been around tour pros and I ah. and I've heard. No, I have not been. I was like, wait a minute. Good did I just miss a huge detail of Staples' bio? <laughs> I tried to play golf in college, and I my, I went to the tryout, and the uh, the coach said, "So, uh, what are you studying?" And I said, "I'm studying landscape architecture. I want to be a golf course architect." And he says, "Well, we have a rule about architecture: you either study architecture, or you play golf. You don't do both." So, Whoa. I chose to draw pictures of golf courses instead. So, well, we but, thank you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have a much better chance of making a living doing that, uh, as difficult as this. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> There's like hundreds of golfers out there that are missing the cut. Right, right. No. I mean, dude, you can you can be 190th on the list and still bring home two million a year. It's huge. It's huge. It's big time, and it's a it's a big part that's why that's where there's a big kind of perception versus reality issue within our uh, the pga tour because the pga tour has never been as as lucrative not as much much, uh, dollars in terms of prize money and things like that so the game is healthy right because you look at what's happened on tour but you dive dive a little deeper into the the standard you know the 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 common man game if you will Hmm. and it's a little different um I, I don't have any further questions, Your Honor. Do you have any questions for me? Do you have any things that we should talk about? I'm happy to continue. No, I think to me, I'm just I'm just happy that this conversation is occurring, and we're we're there's a group, you know, guys that you're talking to are are thinking about the game differently, and I would just I would just keep keep the rocket ship going. I I, I appreciate the effort that you're that you're going through to get this game out in front of other people in the way that you are, and I think it's. Uh, I'm one that believes the game of golf has uh, got brighter, brighter things ahead. You know, it's funny. You say rocket ship. I would say it's more like a sailboat, you know, and uh, there have been doldrums, but ultimately the boat picks up speed only through the people that are watching and blowing is not the term that I would like to use, but, you know, that it's only the energy of the people that are, in, it's like a turbo, you know what I mean? Like, we, it's all just kind of goes back and forth to each other. It was really fun going out to this um, waste management and talking to all the people out there who were like, yo, I like listen to the podcast. I'm like, no way. <laughs> if you were at the waste management and you said, what's up, I really thank you because that's just, I, nothing makes me smile more than that. 
Um, I, uh, I usually have been I've been recently closing with a with a with a request of the guest. Yeah. And the the request is, would you please, in this moment right now, write a letter to golf, dear golf, and now you go. It's terrifying, I know, but you can't do it wrong. It's just a free thing. You're asking me to to write this letter right now as we speak. In verbal, yeah. <laughs> dear golf, uh, I would say thank you for what you've brought to to my life to this point. Uh, I would say that uh, continue to keep your head up and and I think the, the if, if the game is is told in the correct story. Uh, the game is going to continue to thrive, and uh, I, I believe that, that we're in, in for better times. And I, I, I really believe that you know, the game of golf means so much to me and so much to a lot of us that, that it's just a matter of time for more and more people start to understand that. And I, it might sound corny, but that's, that's kind of the way I feel. No, a lot, a lot of people echo the gratitude and the you know, positive uh, wishes moving forward as as uh, as it sets off from high school to college or whoever knows how far we are in the timeline. It's impossible to know where we're at in the timeline of golf. Well, one thing for sure is it's going to be a bigger timeline. We we try to make it so important into the, today's world. It, you know, it's, there's a lot. There's still a lot out there, and I think we're going to look back on these times and and realize that that uh, it, it, we weren't as important as we thought we were. You know, we're all one little piece of this this entire thing, and and the game of golf will start to 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 show itself throughout entire you know hundreds of years, as opposed to just a few dozen. Where can people find you? Uh, where are you most active? Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, I'm I'm Build Smarter Golf on Twitter. Okay. I'm uh, Andrew J Staples on Instagram, and StaplesGolfDesign.com is my website. Okay, great. And um, you're in you're in Phoenix. People, uh, you know, you should. Uh, I'd love to see you do a town hall meeting for the fans. You know, for the for the for the people that do love it. I'd like to see that. I'd like to come back and you know, I I, I lament the idea that we travel so much, but we really don't have time to do the community organized meetups. It's a matter of money. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of like just fucking planning. Like we yeah. just don't we just don't have the time. And then at the end of the day, it's like then it's like we might have like one evening free and then it's like a last minute thing and then it's just like oh, I'm tired man like I don't want to I want my cold to go away not get worse <laughs> right. I'm always like dealing with something so it would be fun to plan something and, and really have a discussion in person I'd love to do that and I think those are the types of things that are going to continue to come out of this this new Andy Johnson's doing a great great work you know these are the, your, your work these guys are this is real and I think it's just a matter of time it's before it starts to become tangible. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. Thanks for your time. This has been a tremendously fascinating afternoon uh, of spending time with you. And I can't wait to hear what people think. I think I think people are really going to enjoy it. And so with that, I'm just going to have to press the record button. Otherwise, we're going to keep talking for another hour. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your time. Thank you.